worldtalkradio.com. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from absolutely gorgeous Scottsdale, Arizona. We're moving into that time of year that we all look forward to through the long, hot summer. And uh, trust me, it's absolutely wonderful here right now. We have a really exciting program from you today. For Yeah, maybe from you too, for you today. First, I have a few announcements. We still have a free Brainwave Meditation Series program available. It was given to us by Life Flows Project Meditation. It's worth $670, and it's worth absolutely every cent and more. I do this program. I find it quite helpful uh, in, in many, many ways. So if you're interested... Go to the self-improvement blog to see more about it. While you're on the blog, and the blog is theselfimprovementblog.com, while you're there, look at the picture of today's guest, read the bio, read the book review, and you can also see his videos in the right sidebar, and they're really worth watching. Um, so take a look, and really go for that free brainwave meditation series. It's really outstanding. Most of us have seen the movie The Bucket List, and a lot of people are now making bucket lists and trying to get all those things done. I have a very short bucket list because I've had a really wonderful full life, but one thing that is absolutely not on my list is skydiving. For a lot of reasons, but mainly I was in a, a crash of a single-engine plane and lost my nerve for airplanes, Disney rides, and anything that's higher than two feet off the ground. I fly if I need to get someplace, but I grit my teeth and pray a lot. It's not something that I truly enjoy anymore. So wouldn't you know that a skydiver would come along with a book I couldn't put down and a story that had to be told? Some of you remember the headlines in April of 1992 that announced that a plane crashed killing 16 of the 22 people on board, skydivers going for a practice jump, and their crew. Our guest was one of the survivors. He was left critically injured and woke up from a six-week-long coma, realizing he had a broken neck, a cracked skull, severe head trauma, a collapsed lung and other serious internal injuries. And, and, you know, the Nancy nurse in me came alive when I read all of that at the beginning of the book. He was left critically injured, no doubt about it, and against all odds he recovered and went back to lead the United States four- and eight-person skydiving teams to multiple world championships. We're going to hear more about that. He also put together a team of 300 skydivers 
and set a new world record for the largest freefall formation. His book, Above All Else, tells his story, a story of passion and following a, his dream against all odds. And by the way, I owe Dan an apology. On the e-card that some of you got, I had a senior moment and gave it a different name. You do not give somebody's book a different name. The book is Above All Else, and it is so, so good. <clears throat> Dan Brodsky Shenfield made his first skydive in 1980 when he was a freshman at Ohio State University. He worked his way through college as a licensed skydiving instructor, jump master, parachute rigger, and pilot, graduating in 1984 with a major in aviation and a minor in theater. Interesting combination. His talent for bringing out the best in others made him one of the most influential people and sought-after coaches in the history of skydiving. He coached the 2004, 2005, and 2006 Women's World Championships to victory. As a competitor, Dan has led teams to 16 national championship gold medal victories and seven world championships. Now, this is all after that near-fatal crash. I want you to remember that. He was one of the coordinators of the Go Fast 300 Way, the world record largest freefall formation of 300 skydivers jumping from 14 airplanes simultaneously. And that's really rather mind-boggling. Dan is currently general manager at Paris Valley Skydiving, one of the world's premier skydiving centers where a lot of his story took place. He lives in Temecula, California with his wife, Christy, daughter, Chloe, and son, Landon. It is such a pleasure to welcome you to the Self-Improvement Show, Dan. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. We have so much. There's so many questions I have for you today. You know, but let's start out by you know, having you tell us a little bit about yourself. And it's okay to go back and say when you were a child you wanted to fly, <laughs> <laughs> but not in a plane. <laughs> well, that, that was definitely the case. You know, I think I am pretty much the luckiest man that I know. I was born into a fabulous family with wonderful parents where in our house, uh, unconditional love was, was a birthright that you had. Uh, my parents were definitely people who encouraged us all to search for the things that we loved, search for the things that inspired us, and, and to go after those things, to excel in whatever your heart uh, pulled you towards. Um, I've managed to, to figure out how to make a living doing what I love most. I've got a wonderful wife and beautiful kids uh, in every way I can think of. I'm just the luckiest person I know. Uh, when I was a, a little kid, I remember having just a fantasy of flying, and I, many kids do. It's not different from... Did you jump off buildings with capes on and all that? I, I, I wanted to. I thought about it, yeah. <laughs> Practiced off my bunk bed first just to see how it went before I started taking on buildings. It didn't uh, go well, did it? You know, it was okay from the bunk bed, but uh, it was a little intimidating uh, from the from the balcony of the house. Um, the, uh, I think many little kids fantasize about flying. I mean, every, every little kid has their own imaginations. We, we live in our imaginations as little kids. And I think as we watch birds flying and planes flying and, and Superman and superheroes, we just think how wonderful it would be 
to be able to fly like that. Not to fly in an airplane, but to actually be the flying machine ourselves. And yeah, I think, I think we all run around with our arms out like, like we're a bird or a plane or something like that. I know that in school you, you really didn't find anything that you were passionate about. You called yourself, as I recall, a mediocre student. But then you discovered acting and found that you really like to do that. But something, you know, something occurs for you when it's time to go on stage and it occurs or occurred for you when you first began jumping. Tell us a little bit about that because I think this is a fascinating piece. We all strive to excel in, in different things and it's a, in a performance activity, whether it's a theater or music or dance or, or public speaking or, or sports. Uh, you know, you, when you step into the game, you want to be able to, to perform at your best, whatever your best is at that time. And in training and rehearsal and practice, uh, you go through it again and again and again, trying to build up the, the muscle memory, trying to build up the skills, trying to build up the training. And then when you actually walk into the, the game, for lack of a better word, uh, you hope to be able to perform up to the top of your abilities. And there's a lot of pressure to do that, uh, especially while you uh, have time to anticipate the activity you're about to be involved in. So I was in theater, and I, 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 loved, I loved it. I, loved, I was a little kid still, and I loved pretending, and acting was just more pretending for me. Uh, but I really tried to excel and learn what I could. But as you're preparing to walk on stage, you have this long time to anticipate before your cue comes. Oh, and, yeah. And you have so many things going on in your head then. I mean, I think we all experience this kind of performance anxiety uh, to some degree or another. And you try to get yourself ready and to, to prepare yourself. And I remember uh, back when I was doing a lot of acting in, in junior high school, in high school, that I would just stand off stage and just try to calm myself down, try to just breathe slow and remind myself that I had practiced. I had practiced, I had trained, and if I can just be calm and just trust my instincts, just trust myself to do what I had practiced, I'll be okay. And just trying to relax like that. And when I could get myself into that relaxed state, as I would walk on stage, I remember just transitioning almost uh, to an instinctive response where suddenly I just did what I had practiced. And it all came out naturally. I, I wouldn't have to think about it anymore. Uh, it was, you know, it was what I had trained for, what I had practiced, but then suddenly it was just like a, you, you flip a switch and you're just in action then. And it's like the switch said, I was born for this. And you have to trust yourself to do it. You have to be in a place where you're trusting your instincts. If you're walking out and you're thinking about, I gotta deliver the right line, I have to look like this, I have to act like that, then you now, get too much noise. What are people gonna think? What if I mess up? Exactly. And that's the, that's the noise that you have as you're getting ready to walk on stage. And, uh, as long as I was able to relax, I remember the first time this happened, I became aware during the, during the show that it's just all happening now. It's like it's happening on automatic and I just tried to, Relax and let it let it happen as I had practiced for it too. So I tried not to let the noise in my head get get in my way. You could teach and, a lot of people because that's where we're, where we all need to go when we're in one of those kind of places. Now I know that, and it's interesting to me that you didn't see much in, 
skydiving as a child, so that that really wasn't a dream, was it? You wanted to fly, but you weren't that aware of skydivers, were you? Well, I remember seeing a TV show. I mean, this is a long time ago when I was maybe six years old. When I was dreaming about flying, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why we could call ourselves the dominant species when we required these elaborate flying machines to take us through the sky, and all a baby bird had to do was have the courage to take one step out of his nest. Right. And, and then, well. and then I remember seeing a show about a skydiving and seeing people fly through the air in free fall. We've all seen different videos like this. And, and they were flying. They, you know, the parachute was on their back. They were in free fall. The parachute wasn't out. And looking at that, thinking that is, that's it. That's the closest man. Then in college, done. you had your chance. I had to wait till I was, I was 18. And uh, finally, when I was 18 years old, the, the dream that I had been waiting for was, was actually a possibility. Until then, I was really, uh, just fantasizing about it. But once I turned 18, I could actually do it. And, and then I became scared. <laughs> once it was actually a possibility, I was terrified. <laughs> I love that scene I, for the, I remember the, the first uh, jump. It's like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I remember the first day. You know, we all lived in a dormitory at Ohio State, and it was the middle of the winter, and a lot of us were talking about how cool it would be and how much fun it would be. And there was probably a dozen of us sitting around. You know, it's easy to talk big in the middle of the winter when you can't do this. And uh, when the day finally arrived that we scheduled to actually do it in the spring, I remember waking up that morning and I was begging for it to be pouring rain outside so that I had an excuse not to go besides that I was too scared. And uh, But, but it, was, it was nice weather, wasn't it? It was unfortunately or unfortunately it was beautiful blue skies, but of the dozen of us, only about three of us actually made it that day. And uh, it was a, a horrifying, you know, experience to do for the first time. But I knew that if there was, if I ever wanted to experience what looked to me like true human flight, I was going to have to take that first step. When you, when your feet hit the ground, were you aware that this is what you'd been wanting to do all along, or you know, was it? Well, maybe I'll try it again. Oh, well, yeah. What was going on well, after I, that first jump? When I learned, it was uh, in 1980, and the only way to learn was by jumping with a static line, which is a cord that's connected to the top of the parachute and to the airplane. So as soon as you exit the airplane, the parachute's automatically deployed. Ah, so so you didn't do any free-falling for a while. Exactly. And, you know, the static line, it was was an incredible jump. It was a... I really learned a lot about facing my fears, about being willing to, to take a leap of faith, uh, about trusting, trusting the world to work out as it, as I was hoping it should for the things that I didn't have control over because it's totally new for me then. I had no idea, uh, what I was really getting myself into. But the jump itself wasn't that much fun compared to free fall. I wanted to free fall. I wanted to fly. Um, but I was going to have to do a bunch of those jumps before I was able to actually experience what it was like to fly myself. And how many jumps did you have to do? before they would allow you to free fall. And there were other classes along with this, I'm assuming, on how to do it, you know, what what it was all about. Very few in 1980. Mm, very few. Uh, but, but I did had to do five static lines, and then they let you do what's called a clearing pole, which you're not a static line anymore. You have to pull the ripcord. But you just exit the airplane and clear the plane, and then you pull your ripcord. It's that just exiting the airplane that kind of... 
would get me. And with that note, it's time for us to take a commercial break. So, you know, this is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dan Brodsky-Chenfield, saying stay tuned. We're going to be back with more about skydiving and this wonderful life he's had. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dan Brodsky-Shenfield. We're talking about skydiving and we're, you know, we have a lot of other things to talk about. So this is not necessarily a show about skydiving, but we need to get you acquainted with who Dan is. And his dream was to fly. Now, we have you jumping out of the plane for the first time, and then you continued to jump. What does flying and skydiving mean to you, and what do you experience when you jump? What is that that you get? There's really two things that are, that are extra special to me. One, when you're just, just the experience of actually skydiving and being, once you leave the airplane, you are just, this tiny, tiny piece of this infinite sky, and it, it puts you in perspective, <laughs> and it puts, oh. the, it puts the world in perspective. And you just, when I'm by myself, just jumping without anybody else there, and I can just appreciate what I'm doing, and I can appreciate, you know, how the wonderful world that we're that we're in, and I can just enjoy the sky and the wind, and look at. Look at a whole different view of of the earth, and think of how I'm just I'm one I'm one small piece of this this wonderful environment, and and that's it's just an incredible opportunity to experience that and to, to see things from that perspective. And secondly, it's also a sport. <laughs> it's yes, a sport that I love the same way other people love basketball or or skiing or, or hockey or whatever. This is it's a competitive sport. And the the measurement for achieving in this sport is how you, how quickly, how sharp you can fly. It's a flying skill, the same way uh, 
as ice skaters, for instance. If you had a team of ice skaters going through a series of moves together and who could do it the sharpest and the fastest, it's that kind of a skill that we do in the air. And to be able to fly like that is, is to me, the most incredible feeling of all. And what are the feelings when you jump? Are they always the same? Is it serene? Is it, you know, a lot of, you know, thinking about what you have to do? Or does do you get in that zone again where things just click in? And, and you know, I, I guess I want to say, what does it feel like? It feels like you're flying. It does. <laughs> and, it, and it depending on depending on the kind of a jump you're doing, it can be all those feelings. When I'm jumping on a world record with 300 people out of 14 airplanes, well, you know what? I'm not really thinking about the beautiful world that I live in no. and being closer to God. <laughs> you know, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about the other 299 people that are all flying around me and, and trying to do the job that we're there to do. In, in I, I can't even imagine pulling that one off. I mean, it, I, it, it's rather mind-boggling, the, the planning that had to go into that yeah, one. We, we could go all day about that, and with 32 <laughs> countries worth of people, by the way. Wow, that's um, remarkable. Before we get into the accident, I understand that you're, you, I am sure, is, are involved in trying to... M- Put skydiving in the Olympics. Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, it's it's had some momentum built up, but it's it's not it's not building more momentum. Uh, we did the World Games a few times, and the World Games are an event where they test out new uh, sports that they want to consider for the Olympics. And I, I competed at those a few times. And uh, what they didn't have in skydiving was money. Basically, this sport, they presented it in a way that they thought it would be exciting for people to watch, uh, but it didn't have enough sponsors and enough uh, money behind it for what it costs to do now that you need airplanes and you need airports and you need additional right. uh, support to do that event. Well, it still could come about. It would be exciting to watch that, even you know, from a spectator's point of view. I think it would be really exciting to see that in the Olympics. That would be wonderful. Now, in 1992, you were preparing to go to the World Championships. Is that that's correct, isn't it? We were preparing for the national championships. The nationals, which if and we won, then we a would lot go. of people were coming to have you work with them as a coach. That's correct. And you had some of your dear friends with you in that plane. And six weeks later. You woke up. I, you know, I can't imagine. In in some ways, it's very fortunate because you missed some of that excruciating pain that happens when all those wounds are brand new. But in a lot of ways, it's got to be incredibly traumatic to wake up and realize you've lost six weeks out of your life, and that some of your best friends are gone, and you know, here you are, pretty banged up. So, you know, and yet you continued. You decided almost right away that you were going to jump again. Is that a true statement? Well, not right away. (laughs) Well, right away you were pretty busy with with trying to figure out what on earth is going on here. I I decided, at, at first I was exactly trying to figure out where am I, what's happening. And as I got the information... Uh, it was quite a shock. 
and just uh, the emotional trauma of trying to understand that not only did this crash happen and are all these friends gone, but, but it's already history. This was, this was weeks right. ago. And, and trying to just grasp that um, was the initial, initial shock of the whole thing. What I and am I you know I had a bad head injury so my memories were very foggy and very vague at that time, and the one memory that I really had was that we were honestly truly living our dream and and you know you hear that as the most overused cliche in the world, uh, but in all aspects of it I was doing exactly what I wanted I was being uh, paid to do the sport that I loved, the sport that I had I'd spent every cent I could find on and nearly sold my soul to be able to excel at it. Now I had turned it into a job. I had teammates who I loved who were like brothers of mine, and we were getting up every day to go to work and work with this team. And it was, you know, once you've had a chance to experience what it's truly like to, to live your dream like that, not just talk about it, but really do it, you don't want to settle for, for anything else. And I didn't know if I'd be able to skydive again, but I knew that if I couldn't, I was going to find something else that that I could discover if I had to, another dream that I could pursue. But first, if there was any chance I could continue skydiving, I was going to go that route. And it was only a matter of a few months before you were planning to get back into it, as I recall from the book. Yes. And I'm thinking, don't do it. <laughs> You've got more healing to do. Don't do it. <laughs> and, and yet, here you were. Um, you had an experience. And, and by the way, I really would just love to say I think Christy is such a magnificent woman. I mean, how blessed you were to have somebody stand by you like she did. Um, quite amazing. I, I could not agree more, and I'll tell her as soon as we hang up. <laughs> well, I hope you know. I, I hope a lot of people heard that because she really, truly was so so remarkable. And you had a love for Apache Lake here in Arizona, and you wanted to come here. You still had the halo brace on, and you wanted to come, and you did. You and Christy came, but something quite exquisite happened. While you were at Apache Lake, can you tell us about that? I, I can. I was out of the hospital for about a month or so. I still had the halo on. Uh, I still, you know, had lost about forty pounds. I I was starting to recover, but I was trying to I was trying to get back, trying to recover as quickly as I could, and I really wasn't making the headway that I wanted to. I was probably trying to do too much. And, and it was holding me back. And I was uh, really starting to take steps backwards at that time. And I had been, I'd been going to the airport. I'd been, you know, the skydiving center. I'd been trying to exercise. I'd been trying to put all this effort into getting better to the point that I think I was getting worse. And uh, I finally realized that this plan wasn't working and I, I needed to do something else. And I didn't know what it was, but it just occurred to me, you got to get back to, to Apache Lake. Um, I'd been there, you know, several times, just kind of discovered it when I was flying over the Superstition Mountains in a, in a 182, Cessna 182. And I had spent several, you know, weeks there, and it was just a place that was very special to me, a place I could go 
just to to be alone to think to to appreciate how how beautiful it was to I went there to write before and it was just a very special place to me and I just wanted to go I said I just need to get away from from skydiving I need to get away from home I just need to be there where I can just be away um and we made the drive from California uh, back to Arizona and out to Apache Lake. And it was just wonderful to be back and just to be outside and just to be in nature and to not be trying to get better, just be out there and just appreciate the love that I had for the place. And it was uh, the second day that, that we were there, and I just thought I'm just going to walk in and just enjoy the water. You know, it was the summertime, so the water is a great temperature, and I just walked in to the water just to enjoy it, not really thinking of anything, just to relax and spend a few minutes. And it was very comfortable. It was very soothing. The water was the perfect temperature, and it was I could really just almost let it let it take me, basically. Right, yeah. And, and just... I guess it was almost a, a meditative kind of state, just to relaxing in the water. And I, I just went in up to my ankles and, and and went in a little bit deeper. And, and almost before I knew it, I was there with just my head and, and my shoulders and my fingertips out of the water. So I was in that deep, and, and I was so relaxed. I almost couldn't remember if I had walked in or if the water had come up to me. But I just kind of was there, almost, almost submerged, and I could, I could hear the wind. Uh, I could feel uh, the sunshine shining down, the the water trickling. I could feel fish that were in the water, just kind of, almost like they give you little kisses, you know. Right. And, yeah. And I was just sitting there and just enjoying the the energy of this place and the life of this place and how much I had just so loved it and and while I was there I started to started to feel stronger like I started becoming aware of of muscles in my body that I hadn't felt for some time because I I had lost 40 pounds I was pretty skeletal (laughs) and uh and just recognizing that 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 they were still there and just I don't know how long this took, but it was almost like the place was was energizing me. Like I was from the sun, from the water, from the fish, from the wind, from listening to the trees. Just the energy of of the whole place was almost rejuvenating me. And I don't know how long I was there for. It may have been an hour. It may have been half an hour. It may have been 15 minutes. I really lost track of time completely. But I walked out of the water feeling stronger, healthier, more confident than I could remember feeling since before the crash. And and Christy even looked at me with this, what just happened to you? Yeah. And I yeah. Uh, I really didn't know, but I, I something happened. Something <laughs> happened. Deepak Chopra says healing happens in the space between thoughts. And you were obviously in a wonderful place of in-between thoughts. 
where healing can happen. And on that note, it's time for us to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dan Brodsky, Shenfield Singh. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of this remarkable story. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self-improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self-improvement show. This is Irene Conlon. With my guest, Dan Brodsky-Shenfield, we've been talking about um, skydiving, about the crash he was in, and about healing. Dan, after the lake, you continued to improve, and you got your, your brace off. Did, you jumped once with your brace on, didn't you, or you no, jumped? Not, not with the halo brace. Not with the halo brace on. You got it off. Is that when you did your first jump, when uh, you got that off? Uh, I no, I don't remember. I did it uh, after I got the halo off. Um, it was off for a few days, and I, I moved my head in the wrong way, and my entire body went numb. And you had to go back for and, more surgery. I had to you? go back and have my neck operated on. Right. So then you had another period of needing to heal before you could jump. And it really <laughs> so. pissed me off too. <laughs> I'm sure it did. So what kept you focused and motivated during this time? Did did you get discouraged? I can't imagine that you didn't. I mean, it just would be so normal to say, oh, not again. Oh, what's going on here? And blah, blah, blah. Um, how did you stay motivated? How did you stay focused? What drove you to keep on keeping on? You know, I, I tried out how it felt to, to give up and how it felt to think that everything's working against me and and no matter what I do, everything keeps going wrong. I, I tried that out and uh, it stunk. It didn't work, did it? You give a pity party, nobody I, comes, it's I, no fun. I know, I gave it I gave it a try and it just, it, it was no good. And it was, uh, uh, it, it was a much better way to look at things as it's, you know what, it's just another challenge, and I'm going to be, the more challenges that you bring on, the better off I'm going to be for them. Uh, and they were never so bad that I didn't think I could still succeed with my goal. Ah, that is so big. 
I, I still looked at it and thought, is it is it possible? I mean, I had set the goal of, of wanting to go back with the team and, and get the team to the national championships. And nothing the doctors said proved to me that that wasn't that that wasn't possible. They suggested I don't. They told me I shouldn't, but nothing they said medically said to me I shouldn't be able to do this. And no matter what happened, I looked at it and I thought, is it possible? Can I do this? And as long as I still believed it was possible, I was going to try. Before we get into the next question, I want you to to tell the listeners how they can find you on the Internet, how they can find your book, um, and um, is there really a movie? (laughs) Well, uh, my website... Uh, the easiest way is danbc.com, D-A-N-B as in boy, C as in cat, dot com. Uh, it also pulls up with, above all else, thebook.com. Um, there, uh, there is a movie that is in development, and in development is a very broad term. Uh, there's a, a script, there are some investors, there are producers on board, but it it takes uh, it takes a lot of things to come together for the movie to actually be made, but there's people who are definitely putting the effort into that. Uh, and above all else, the movie is a website for that. Uh, all through the book, I kept thinking, oh, I'd like to see this in a movie. Oh, this would make the greatest movie. And then I saw the website for the movie. I hope they're going to let you act in it since you have a little acting background. I think I'm a bit old for the character now. Ah, well, hey, the character has to get old at some point, doesn't he? They could bring you up to date now. In fact, why don't you bring us up to date and tell us what it is you do now? Well, I'm still uh, actively running the Skydiving Center in Paris, which is my my full-time job, which has many different uh, pieces of of the job, organizing big skydiving events, uh, coaching a lot of teams, and running the business, running the school and the business. Uh, How much that, jumping do you do now? I I don't get to jump as much as I used to. I probably do three or four hundred jumps a year. <laughs> that's, that's still a lot. <laughs> which is which is nothing. It, it's really I've got over twenty five thousand jumps in total. Uh, so three hundred a year is just just enough. Just enough. Just enough. Um, I'm also especially now that the the book has come out. Uh, I've been working with uh, teams and you know, teams both in skydiving as well as uh, uh, other athletic teams and business teams and individuals uh, doing coaching with them, uh, helping them to really set correct goals and good plans for, for achieving them. What, what motivated you to write the book? What, what was burning in you that said, i got to do this? Well, the, the truth of the matter is, I was coaching the Russian national skydiving team, and the sponsor of that team, uh, who was also on the team, said they'd been coached by a lot of people, but no one had ever taught them the things I was telling them. And he asked me, I want you to write a book about this. And I asked him, what do you want the book to be about? And he said, how to win the world championships. And the skydiving world championships he was speaking of. And I told him that that's like 10% skydiving, and the rest is how to achieve, how to accomplish your goals, how to overcome obstacles, you know, as it is for achieving anything. The skydiving part in particular is, you know, is a small piece of what it takes to really 
you know, win a championship and become the best you can be at anything. So this is why you have the second half dedicated to winning. Well, it started off, uh, and he, he basically hired me to do a first draft of this book, which was for him. And uh, none of it, very little of it, was my story at all. It was mostly what you see in the second half of the book and, mm-hmm. and much more. And after uh, a few months, he, he lost interest. <laughs> and I had, I had already written the whole last part, the plane to win part, and much more. And uh, at that point, he lost interest. But I had already written so much that I, 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 I couldn't stop now. You know? I, and, and I'm glad you didn't, because what you have written about winning is is not in any way run of the mill. And anybody who has a, any goal can benefit from reading this book. I mean, it, it, and, and I don't think you started out to make it a motivational book, but it's incredibly motivating. You know, one thing that you say in this book that really got my attention and uh, it, it keeps playing in my head is the question, do I want this badly enough to do what it takes to make it happen? You know, and, and all of a sudden, Everything I've learned about management shift, and I had shifted, and I had a lot of management courses because I've been in nursing management most of my life. We we start out with goals, but nobody ever asked us that question. And the answer to that question says, "Okay, you can go ahead and write goals now." <laughs> but if you can't say yes to that question. You better answer, think it through. Right. The answer to that question is, is everything. And it may, you know, it may be that your goal is not, uh, so monumental that, that it won't take as much. And that's okay too. It's not like every goal you have to have is to, to win a world championship, is to get a PhD, is to, you know, do huge things. Small goals are great also. But, <laughs> but there's still that question. There is always going to be that question. Uh, and, and even some things that we think are small starting out um, take a tremendous amount of time, talent, dedication, effort, concern. Uh, all of those things, you know, changes in the way you live your life. Um, and, and if you think it through and then ask yourself the question, you have a pretty good chance then of being successful. You talk about fear being the first big obstacle. So talk a little bit about that and how you, know, how you teach people to overcome their fear. Uh, I think f- fear is, and fear is, is a very productive emotion. And that fear is probably uh, largely one of the reasons why our species has survived <laughs> yes. know, for, for so long. But it's, uh, it's a productive emotion when it's, when it's the right one. Uh, if you are in some kind of danger, I mean, this is in, in our whole evolutionary process. Uh, how fear developed was when we are put in a situation of real danger, and we needed a huge shot of, of adrenaline and a shot of, of of strength and power so that we could either fight off that battle or, or run. And that's what fear is designed for. But now we let ourselves become scared of all sorts of things that, that can't actually harm us. 
and I think it's important to take to take a clear look at those things. When I when I work with teams and I work with individuals, I see people who are they're so scared that they'll that they'll fail that they won't reach the goal. They're scared, and that that will define them as failures. And then people will think of them as 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 failures, and they start putting all of these things on it. Which, well, even if that's true, how does that actually harm you? You don't yeah. reach the goal. These people think that you know they they can think what they want. How does that harm you? It doesn't harm you, and it, it actually can it actually can make you stronger. So you need to you need to refocus how you perceive fear, and even though you may feel it. You need to, to logically think it through to see if it's actually warranted or not. Yeah, I love the saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. I had a, yeah. My son, when he was three years old, he, was, uh, he learned to swim very young because we lived in Arizona. Uh, and you don't go outside unless you learn to swim in the summertime. That's right. And uh, he was three, three, maybe almost four. And uh, he knew how to swim, but he hadn't jumped off the diving board yet. And uh, he was standing on the edge of the diving board. He'd been able to jump off my shoulders, and he'd been able to jump off the side of the pool. He was standing on the diving board like three feet up. He said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I said, well, what, do you, what are you scared of? You know you can swim. You know you can jump off my shoulders. You know you can jump off the side of the pool. So think, what, what are you scared of? Think, think. You know, cause I know you feel scared, but do you need to be? And, and his little... Three and a half, four year old brain, I could see him, you know, processing this, and then he leaped off the board. There. And I put a quote on the blog this morning, and uh, it was by Dale Carnegie, and he said, The only fear that exists is in your mind. Yeah. Your son just demonstrated that. <laughs> and it, was, it was a beautiful thing, and it was such a great, you know, lesson for him. He re- realized, I know I feel scared, but I don't need to be scared. And. Mm-hmm. On that thought, we're going to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dan Brodsky-Shenfield, saying stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you where you want to be in life? Are you experiencing the happiness that you're entitled to? How'd you like to improve your life and well-being? Take a weekly break to listen to Change Your Mind, Change Your Life with your hosts, Jim and Lynn Swearingen. You'll learn how hypnosis can truly help you rewrite the chapters of your life. You'll also learn to change perceptions of what hypnosis is and what it isn't. Be sure to listen every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. are tuned in to the self-improvement show with your host dr irene conlon got a question for irene or her guests call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612 that's 1-866-613-1612 connect with irene via email our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com now let's get back to the self-improvement show here again is dr irene conlon 
Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Common with my guest, Dan Brodsky-Shenfield, and we've been talking about skydiving and his book and all kinds of really wonderful things. If you are about to start a project and you have any fear or hesitation at all, read this book. Go to the second half of it, although I wouldn't want to skip his story for anything. Read his story, but go to the second half which is about winning, he has some nuggets in there that can be very helpful for anybody who's starting a new endeavor. Uh, for teenagers who are about to, to finish high school, you know, people in college who are about to get their first job. I mean, there's, it's rich for anybody who reads it. Above all else is the book. Please, please, you know, give it to yourself as a gift. Um, there's so many things I still want to ask you, Dan, or talk about. You talk about three other obstacles besides fear, um, the, unex- the expected, the what-ifs, and the unexpected. You know, do those still hold true for you? Uh, they certainly hit me as quite valid. Well, absolutely. When you have some kind of a goal, it's nice to set the goal. Here's what you want to do. But it's the goal is only a dream until you make a plan for how you're going to accomplish it. And the plan will basically be a, a list of obstacles that you're going to face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know, where's the money? And, you know, I, I kept thinking of you in that trailer down in southern Arizona you know, and, and all the things you guys gave up to train as a team to go to the world championships. Uh, and that was or the just, national championships. I, I've got them all mixed up in my yeah. head now. I think right. there've been a lot, and, and and that's what any any goal, any worthwhile achievement, any worthwhile goal is going to have obstacles for you. It doesn't it, it doesn't matter if it's a championship or not. If it's something you want to achieve, if it's something that really sparks you. We don't usually get excited about things we've we've done before a hundred times. No. We try to do new things. And if it's new, then there's going to be obstacles. And that's just a way to break down those three types of obstacles and to best make your strategy for how you're going to approach them. You give this wonderful piece of advice. Don't ask yourself if it's going to be easy. Ask yourself if it's possible. I think this is just people... People are... are, faced with similar situations but one person looks at them and sees every reason why it can't be done another person looks at the exact same data the exact same evidence and thinks here's why it can be done (laughs) and it doesn't mean it's i think the difference of of where they fall in that is uh if they think it's going to be easy if they're looking for a guarantee well then then it may not be possible but the optimistic person looks at it and thinks is it possible? Is Do the circumstances exist that make this even remotely possible for me to achieve? And and that's the question to ask. Uh, otherwise, you're too easily discouraged. There's a million reasons not to do things. And we'll find every one of them if we're, if we're looking for an out. We'll find every one of them. Talk about the importance of positive visualization in being successful. Oh, I think it's it's hugely important. Um, it allows us to really see what we want, and it allows us to, to clear our mind for some reason, uh, be it our upbringing, be it our surroundings, be it society in general. 
the reasons not to do things and, and the fears, the fear of failure, the, the fear of, uh, of other people's impressions of you, they just, they, they're very loud. <laughs> and, and, and they line up. And it, it, unless you consciously make an effort to see the positive side of things, not the, not the imaginary side of things, the positive side of things, true, accurate visualization of, of the positive things, then you're going to be overwhelmed with the negative sometimes. And the more that you can actually picture those things, rehearse those things, the more that you can really believe that you're capable of it and actually rehearse doing what it is you're trying to accomplish. And all kinds of studies have been done to show how powerful visualization is in any kind of skill training or any kind of overcoming a habit. Or, you know, all, it's useful in almost every part of your life. Your, your mind doesn't know the difference. No, it yeah. doesn't. It truly doesn't. It, it, What's next for you, Dan? You seem like a person who always has to go a little, another step further, you know, a, another jump higher. <laughs> what, what's next? Well, uh, you know, the biggest thing in my world are my wife and kids. Tell us and, about them. And having the time to, to really spend these years with them there you know i remember my my parents telling me you're growing up so quick you're growing up so quick and as a kid you just think you know be quiet yeah <laughs> it's no it's quick, so slow and now i'm you know watching my kids grow up and trying to to spend these years especially having as much really good quality time uh with them that we can that we can share as a family as i, I possibly can and some of my own uh personal goals are you know taking a bit of a of a back seat also so that I have time to to do that um, but that I, that's a very huge goal um, you know an, a, a very honorable goal to spend time with your family and you know see about raising your children tell us just a bit about your children i feel like i know christy she's just got to be such a wonderful human being she must be nuts for putting up with me, but <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> no, I, I think you hear different parents and different people uh, sort of uh, judging or rating how they've done raising their kids. You know, depending on what their kids have have become, how they did in school, the grades they got, uh, the the jobs or careers they they headed for, and when I really think of of our children, and I think of what kind of people are they? What kind of people are they? Are they the kind of people that that wherever they are is a better place because they're there. They make it a happier environment. They make they they bring joy to people, and they make people feel good about themselves and each other, and they they contribute to whatever they're a part of. And they both have lots of their own skills, but more than anything. Um, they are they are those people. Wherever they are is better because they're there. They bring joy and, and happiness and, and compassion to everything that they do and everywhere that they go. I don't know how you can say anything more complimentary of anyone than what you just said about your children. Are you going to let them jump? It's, it's up to them. If you ask Christy, it's an absolute <laughs> no. Uh and, you know, I don't push them to do it at all. They don't spend time at the, the skydiving center. I, I try to do for them what my parents did 
for me, which is find whatever it is, whatever it is you love, you know, try to expose them to lots of different things and let them discover the things that, that bring them joy. And if, if it ends up being skydiving that they discover on their own, well, it's going to be hard to say no, but it's, uh, it's definitely not something I have uh, tried to push them towards in the least bit. Dan, we're right up to the very end of the show. What's the thought you want to leave with our listeners today? Everybody has goals that they want to accomplish. The difference between the people who actually go after those goals is how they, how they see them. Do they approach things from an optimistic perspective or a pessimistic perspective? They, I think what has enabled me to just live a very fulfilling life, whether I ever accomplished those goals really didn't matter as much, but to have a life where I was waking up every day excited about what I was trying to do, excited about what I was trying to accomplish, uh, improving at the things that I loved, was because I was always optimistic enough to ask that question, is it possible for me to succeed? And if it was at all possible, I was willing to take the chance and willing to put in the effort to make it happen. And I think people too often don't ask the question, and if they do, they answer it with too much pessimism. Wonderful, wonderful thought. Next week's guest is P.J. Jonas. She's a mother who started making soap because she wanted something nice to bathe her children with. It's turned into a wonderful business called Goat Milk Stuff, and it's run now by herself, her husband, and her eight children, and she has a great story to tell. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. I loved having you on. I'd love to keep up with you. When the movie comes along, we'll tell everybody about it. Thank you, Irene. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you and looking at your blog as well. Thank you. This is Irene Conlon and my guest, Dan Brodsky-Shenfield, saying thank you for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.